Okay, let's take a Bible this evening and turn to Genesis <clears throat> chapter 9. Genesis chapter 9 this evening. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 9, and we're just going to read from <clears throat> verse 8 as we begin this evening. Genesis chapter 9, verse 8. It says, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I'll establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. Let's give me time to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful privilege that we have to gather in this place, for the privilege of gathering around your word. And Lord, I pray that this evening as we uh, continue our study in the book of Genesis, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would teach us, instruct us through your word, and may we be refreshed this evening and blessed uh, by the truths contained therein. Lord, I pray you empower me now this evening, that you would give me wisdom and guidance that only you can give, and that, Lord, it would be your words, it would be your thoughts this evening, and that your name would be praised, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> now, of course, in chapter 9, verse 1 to 7, which we looked at uh, last Sunday, we saw uh, God outline man's responsibility in the new world, okay? This new world, uh, post-flood world, okay? God outlined man's responsibility. And we saw that God did this by giving to Noah and to his sons, indeed to all mankind, these three mandates, okay? The mandate to be fruitful and Multiply, filling the earth, and exercise dominion over all the animals. The second mandate was to then use the animals, uh, and one of those uses was for meat. And then finally, we saw the mandate for capital punishment, which in essence was God saying we needed to establish government, someone to uphold the law and to exercise justice on the earth. And now this evening we come to verse 8, and we find the Lord is... Uh, still speaking to Noah and his sons, and he outlines now the covenant with mankind, his covenant with Noah and his sons, and as we'll see, indeed with us. And this covenant was first mentioned back in chapter 6, verse 18. Let's just turn back there, Genesis chapter 6, and verse 18. We read this, it says, But with thee will I establish my covenant. And thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. And so God had mentioned this covenant back in chapter 6, verse 18. He'd mentioned this covenant that he would make with Noah and his descendants. And now in chapter 9, the details of that covenant are given unto us. They're revealed to us. And it's interesting that here in these, these verses, here in chapter 9, verse 8 through to 17... The word covenant is mentioned or used by God a total of seven times. Okay, so God continually repeats this idea here. He repeats himself over and over. What that tells us is that this is obviously something God wants us to remember. Okay, it's obviously something God sees as important 
God wants us to clearly understand it, understand this covenant, understand what it entails, what it means, and God wants us to remember it. And the covenant that God makes with mankind here is an unconditional covenant. There's no conditions attached. Okay? God doesn't make this covenant and say, you must keep the three mandates in the first seven verses. Okay? It's not conditioned on that. It's not conditioned on man uh, fulfilling those responsibilities. God did not say, if you do these things, then I will do this. Okay? This is an unconditional covenant, an unconditional promise from God that he will never destroy all life on earth again with a flood. And this evening we want to focus our attention on this covenant and I want us to see there are two main points here, the extent of the covenant and then secondly the sign of the covenant. So first of all this evening let's look at the extent of the covenant. The extent of the covenant, verse 8, it says, And God spake unto Noah, and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you, and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark, to every beast of the earth. And so here we have the extent of the covenant. And this covenant recorded for us here is the very first of its kind in the Word of God. Now, there are many covenants, there are many important covenants throughout the Word of God. Okay, you have you know, God's covenant with Abraham, uh, with Moses, with the people of Israel. You have God's covenant with David. And, of course, the most important of all, the new covenant with the, established through the Lord Jesus Christ, the new covenant with us. And so this idea of God making a covenant with His people is an important theme that's seen right throughout the Word of God. And as I said, the very first of these is found here in chapter 9. As I said, the the very first mention of the word covenant is chapter 6, verse 18, as we just looked at before. But that is in reference to this covenant here in chapter 9. And so this is the very first of its kind in the Word of God. And the the extent of this covenant is significant. Those included in it, it's significant. You see, in verse 9, God makes it clear that this covenant is being established not just with Noah, not just with Noah and his sons, but it's established with all of Noah's seed. Okay, look there in verse 9, it says, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. You see, it's with all of Noah's seed. That's important, isn't it? Because we are Noah's seed. Okay, we all are the descendants of Noah. We're all related to him. We all come from him. And so this covenant here that God makes with Noah and his sons is made with us. We are included here in verse 9. It's a covenant with mankind. And it was to be a perpetual covenant, covenant that extends down through the generations. Each generation can claim this covenant as being theirs, as applying to them. Look in verse 12 there, at the end of verse 12 in particular, but verse 12 it says, And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. makes it very clear. This is a perpetual covenant. It's for perpetual generations. In other words, it's never-ending. 
in Samarani, it continues on. Each generation can claim this promise from God. Each generation can be sure that this promise still applies. Okay, that it hasn't come to an end, didn't finish with the, the previous generation. It still applies. There's no limits to those who are included here in the covenant. It includes all mankind. You know, it's interesting that not only does God establish this covenant perpetually with mankind, but God also establishes it with the animals. The animals who were exiting the ark here with Noah and his family, and indeed with the animals' offspring as well. Look there again in verse 9. It says, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl, of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. God makes it clear here that this covenant extends, it's made with all the creatures as well, all the animals who are exiting the ark here and, and their offspring as they repopulate the earth. And so God makes this covenant with all of his creatures, not just mankind. It says in verse 10 at the start, it says, every living creature that is with you. And then, of course, God goes on and says, of the fowl, of the cattle, of every beast of the earth. Every living creature, all of the animals are included here. Now, of course, we know the animals are not the same as man. Okay, we've talked about that, haven't we? You know, we are God's unique creation, created in his image, body, soul, and spirits. We have that relationship with God. We have an eternal spirit. And so the animals are not the same as man, but it's interesting here, isn't it, the animals are still important to God. They're still God's creatures. They're his creatures, and God is concerned about them. God cares for them, and God makes this covenant with them. You see, it's important that we understand here that this is not just saying that they benefit from the covenant. Okay, It's not just that because God makes this covenant with man that they benefit from it. No, it's actually established with them as well. Okay, it's a promise to them, a covenant with them as well. God cares about his creatures. It's interesting in verse 10 that the, the wild beasts are actually mentioned twice. Look there in verse 10, it says, And with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. Every beast is mentioned twice, and it's talking about the wild beasts of the earth. And Morris writes this in regards to that. He says, It is perhaps especially significant that the wild beasts are mentioned twice by God, as though to emphasize that even that portion of the animal kingdom, which might superficially seem to be of least concern to the Creator, is also under His providential care. Floods may be especially destructive to those animals which can neither fly nor depend on man for assistance. And so God makes a special point that these will never have to fear another worldwide flood. It's interesting, isn't it? It's like the Lord makes a special mention to say, even these ones, I care about them. They're important to Him. You know, we see this wonderful truth expressed in other places in the Word of God, don't we? You know, Matthew chapter 6, I'm sure we know the verse well, but let's just turn there, Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 26. Matthew 6 verse 26 says, Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, 
neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? And of course, there's other passages, passages making similar references to the fact that God cares for his creatures. You see, the point is that God cares about all of them, from the very smallest sparrow unto the very largest beast. They are his creatures and they are under his care. If God cares about the sparrow, God cares about the wild beast, how much more does he care about us? That's really the point, isn't it? How much more does he care about us who are created in his image? Now, it's wonderful to consider the fact that this covenant here is extended to all. It extends to all. In verse 11, we now have the covenant clearly stated for us. Let's go back there to Genesis chapter 9. Verse verse 11, sorry. It says, And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. Now God clearly states the covenant for us. We already knew what was coming, didn't we? We knew what the covenant was. But God states it clearly here, this promise that he will never flood the earth again to destroy all life. He'll never send a worldwide flood. The word flood here in the Hebrew is that word mabul. If you remember in chapter 6, we talked about the, the word flood is the Hebrew word mabul, and it's only ever used to refer to Noah's flood. And that's the same word used here. And so it's talking about this unique event, Noah's flood, and God says, I will never send the mabul again. That's what he promises here. He will never send a worldwide flood again. And this, of course, is God declaring to Noah what he had already determined in his heart. Remember chapter 8, verse 21? Just turn back there, chapter 8, verse 21, it says, And the Lord smelled a sweet savour, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. And so when we looked at chapter 8, verse 21, we saw that God determined in his heart, God made this decision that he would forbear with sinful mankind and he would never destroy every living thing again with a flood. And so that decision that God made in his heart, God now declares as a promise, as a covenant with mankind. And as I said in the introduction, the most wonderful thing about this covenant is that it is unconditional. There's no conditions attached. There's no conditions for man to meet. This is a covenant that's based solely upon God's word, God's promise. And you know, we know that God is truth. God must keep his word. God cannot lie. He cannot go back on his promises to us. And so we can be sure that because it's founded upon His Word, we can be sure that God will keep this promise. And He will never again send a worldwide flood. You know, there may be local floods that take life, that cause destruction, and there are. We witness them. And in in a sense, they're sort of like a, a, a mini scale of the destruction, aren't they? But the Lord says that He will never again destroy the earth with a flood. So we know that those floods will recede. We know they'll only go to a certain point and they'll stop. We have this promise from the Lord. There's this thing about this promise here this week. 
You know, I thought, you know, really we need to put ourselves in the shoes of Noah and his family here to really understand and to, to fully grasp these words and the comfort they must have been. You've got to put your, yourself in the position of Noah as God is speaking to him. You see, without these words from God, what would Noah and his family have thought the next time it rained? Think about it. What would they have thought? What would they have thought the next time those storm clouds brewed in the sky? What would their first thought have been? Oh no, here it comes again. You see, remember, they had never seen rain. They never experienced rain before the flood. And so what are they going to associate rain with? The flood. That's what they're going to associate it with. And so without these words, when they see rain clouds, it would have caused fear, dread, that it's going to happen all over again. But you see, these words from God give them comfort, and indeed the generations after them, comfort that God is in control, that the rain is not a curse, it's a blessing. That they can enjoy life in the knowledge that even though the rain falls, it will stop. It will stop. The sun will come out. The sun will shine. The earth will never be flooded again. And that's the promise of these words here. That's the comfort of these words here to Noah and his family, and indeed to us, even today. And so we've seen the extent of the covenant. Now look secondly with me at the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant. Look in verse 12. It says, And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass... When I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it, that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And so we see secondly this evening the sign of the covenant. Now throughout the word of God, we said earlier there's covenants mentioned right throughout the word of God. And with those covenants, God will often give a visible sign of the covenant to man. You know, the covenant with Abraham was sealed with the sign of circumcision. Let's just turn over to Genesis chapter 17, because similar wording is used with these. Genesis chapter 17, verse 11. It says, And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And so, with the covenant with Abraham, God sealed it with the sign, the token of circumcision. Likewise, the covenant with Moses upon Mount Sinai was sealed with the sign of the weekly Sabbath. Go to Exodus 31 with me. Exodus chapter 31. In Exodus 31 and verse 16, it says, Wherefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout their generations for a perpetual covenant 
It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And so the Sabbath was a, a sign. And so you have both the circumcision, you have the, the Sabbath given as a sign to remind God's people of the covenant. The idea was that when they, they did these things, they would remember God's promise. They would remember the, the words that God had spoken to them. And the same is true here in Genesis chapter 9, isn't it? God gives a sign to Noah, to his sons, to us, to help us remember the covenants. And in verse 12, of, uh, we're told that he will give a token of the covenant. It says there, and God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. It says, this is the token of the covenant. The word translated token here is the same Hebrew word that's translated sign back in Genesis chapter 1. Just go back there, Genesis 1 and verse 14. Genesis 1 verse 14, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs. That's that word token. Okay, same word. And for seasons, and for days, and years. It's also translated Mark in chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4 and verse uh, 15. This is in reference to Cain. Okay, it says, And the Lord said unto him, Therefore whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. And so it's translated as a sign, it's translated as a mark, it's translated as a token. And what it's talking about is something that's visible. It's a visible sign. A visible sign. And of course, the visible sign that God gives us in chapter 9 is the rainbow. It's the rainbow in the sky. This is the the sign that God has given us, the token that we can see to remind us of this blessed covenant. Look there in verse 13, a verse that we teach our, our children, don't we? This is in verse 13, I do set my bow in the cloud... And it shall be for a token of the covenant between me and the earth, and it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And so God gives us the visible sign of the rainbow. Okay, the rainbow is the the visible sign of this promise, this covenant. And in verse 13, the Lord says that it's my bow. You notice that? It says, I do set my bow in the cloud. It belongs to God. It's God's bow. And this is a reference to the fact that God created it. This is, this is something new, okay, as well. Because Noah and his family, they haven't experienced this before. They haven't seen this before. This is something they're witnessing now for the very first time. It's almost as God's talking to Noah. He says, no, look, I've set my bow in the, in the sky, in the clouds. He's seeing it for the first time. It's God's bow. It's God's creation, now, we understand the science behind it, don't we? Okay, we understand the science today behind the rainbow and why it works, why it forms in the sky. You know, the, the sunlight filtering through the water in the air, you know, causing the, the, uh, the, 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 sorry, the raindrops to be like a prism, releasing the, the colors okay, of the rainbow, of the, of the spectrum there. And so it's a wonderful sight, isn't it? This wonderful, glorious sight that we see in the sky, we understand the science behind it today. 
But of course, before the flood, it hadn't existed. You see, before the flood, there is no rain cycle. Okay, we talked about this many times. There's no rain cycle upon the earth. There's this heavy dew that goes up and, uh, upon the earth each day to water the plants, to water the grounds. But there's no rain cycle, and so there's no rainbow. There's no rainbow upon the earth. It's only now in the post-flood world, as the sunlight hits the clouds, that we see this wonderful reminder of God's promise to man. It's God's bow. God put it there for a purpose, for a reason. Yes, it is a scientific principle, but who created the principle behind it? God did. The reason it works is because God made it work. And it's there in the sky to remind us of this covenant. To remind us that God will never destroy the earth again with a flood. Now once again, I think we need to put ourselves in the position of Noah and his family. God has just given them the wonderful promise. He's just said to Noah, I will never again flood the earth to destroy all life. And then he says to Noah, and I will put my bow in the sky. There it is, Noah as a sign of this promise. Now think about that for a second. Think about how much it must have thrilled their souls the next time the storm clouds rolled in and they remembered the words of God and then it rained and then the storm finished and what did they see in the sky? The wonderful, visible sign of God's promise. Think about how much that must have thrilled their souls. You see, it was not just some beautiful sight in the sky to them, was it? It wasn't just some beautiful sight. It wasn't just an amazing thing. It was something that spoke to them about the faithfulness of their God. It declared to them that God keeps His promises. It declared to them the graciousness of God towards mankind. And it would have caused them to worship and give thanks to God. Morris writes this, he says, Over and over again, After a period of such storms and convulsions, they would see the beautiful rainbow traversing the heavens and remember that God was still on his throne and the world was safe from destruction. Furthermore, they had his word that his covenant was an everlasting covenant. It was valid for them and for their children to perpetual generations. The rainbow spanning from one end of heaven to the other would remind them that God's promises were from eternity to eternity, from beginning to end. That really is the the wonder of the rainbow. It's a wonderful thing. And and as they saw the rainbow, it reminded them God's still on His throne. God keeps His promises. God is still gracious. God is still merciful. Indeed, what a wonderful sign the rainbow really is. You know, sadly, today the meaning of the rainbow is almost lost on mankind, isn't it? It's almost completely lost. You know, we see the rainbow in the sky and we admire its beauty. And we saw one yesterday afternoon. We see them and we admire its beauty. But very, but very few today associate that, that beautiful sign, very few associate it with God's promise. Very few even believe that the world was flooded, as God said. You know, even as believers, I think at times we can be guilty of not really 
grasping the meaning of the rainbow. We can be guilty. You see, it ought to be something that provokes us to thanksgiving. It really should. When we see it in the sky, it should be something that provokes us to thanksgiving. It provokes us to praise God. To praise God that He is still on the throne. Because that's what it's declaring to us. God is still on the throne. God is still keeping His promises to mankind, to us as individuals. God is still being gracious. He's still being long-suffering. And if that doesn't cause us to praise God, there's something wrong, isn't it? We should be causing to, it should cause us to praise His name, to give thanks for who He is. You know, perhaps the most frustrating thing of all today for us as believers is that not only have men forgotten the meaning of the sign, but they've stolen God's bow and they've turned it into a symbol of that which is completely against God's holiness. They've taken God's bow, a symbol of His graciousness, His love, His mercy, His faithfulness, and they've turned it into a symbol of gay pride. A symbol of wickedness and sin. That's what it is. It's completely against the the glory of God. Completely against the holiness of God. And they've taken it and they've turned it into this. And it upsets me as a Christian. It upsets me that you see a rainbow and, and merely that's what it's talking about. Instead of proclaiming the grace and the mercy and the, and the promises of God. The world has stolen it and they've turned it into something disgusting. The beautiful symbol of God's grace. And they've turned it into something appalling in the eyes of God. But you know, as believers, we need to take back God's rainbow, don't we? We need to take it back. We need to acknowledge and proclaim what it really means. Teach our children what it really means. And give God the glory. As I said, every time we see that rainbow in the sky, it ought to cause us to to remember His promise. To remember His wonderful promise to us. It ought to remind us of His faithfulness and His grace. But you know, it's not just His faithfulness in not destroying the earth again with a flood. It ought to remind us of His faithfulness and His grace in general. We should see it as evidence of who our God is. Evidence that He is King. He is still seated on His throne. Evidence that He is a God who can and will keep His word. Evidence that He is a God who will never fail us. Who's long-suffering and merciful. You see, the rainbow is a wonderful, glorious reminder of who God is every time we see it in the sky. And we ought to give thanks to Him. Now, when we see the rainbow, it ought to remind us that we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to fear. We have nothing to worry about. We have nothing to fret because God's on the throne. He's still there. He's still in control. And the rainbow declares that. You know, there's one more interesting thing that I want us to quickly look at concerning this sign. And that is that it's not just for us to see. It's for God to see. You look there in verse 15. It says, And I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh, and the bow shall be in the cloud, and I will look upon it. 
that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. In verse 15 and 16, the Lord declares that He will look upon it and He will remember His covenant with man. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that God could ever possibly forget. We know that. But this is a wonderful declaration, another way of assuring us that we don't need to be afraid. God sees the rainbow and God remembers His promise. We don't need to worry. We don't need to fret. When we see that rainbow in the sky, as we did yesterday afternoon, I don't know if everyone saw it, but I did. When we saw that rainbow in the sky, our Heavenly Father was also seeing that rainbow and remembering His promise. The commentator Gill writes this, he says, not that forgetfulness or remembrance, properly speaking, belong to God. But this is said after the manner of men, who by this token may be assured whenever they see the bow in the cloud that God is not unmindful of the covenant He has made with all creatures and which is to continue to the end of the world. He said, what a wonderful thought that is. That God, when He sees the rainbow, He remembers His covenant. The same rainbow we're looking at. Our Heavenly Father's looking at it. You know, it's interesting in the Word of God that the, that the rainbow is only mentioned three other times. And we're going to quickly just look at each of them. Ezekiel chapter 1 is the first one. Ezekiel chapter 1 and verse 28. Just turn over there. <clears throat> it won't be long. We're almost done this evening. Ezekiel chapter 1 verse 28. It says this, as, as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness round about. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Ezekiel saw the rainbow where? Surrounding the throne of God. Revelation chapter 4 is the second one. Revelation chapter 4. Revelation. Chapter 4 and verse 3. Revelation 4 verse 3, it says, And he, he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardin, sardin stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And so John, likewise, what does he see? He sees the rainbow surrounding the throne of Almighty God. And then finally in Revelation chapter 10 verse 1. Revelation chapter 10 Verse 1 says, And there was given, oh, sorry, that's chapter 11, chapter 10, verse 1, And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven, clothed with a cloud, and a rainbow was upon his head. And his face was, as it were, the sun, and his feet as pillars of fire. In Revelation 10, many associate this with the Lord Jesus Christ. The rainbow is a crown upon his head. You see, each of these references here is in the context of what? God's enthroned glory. We have the rainbow surrounding the throne of Almighty God. Isn't that an interesting thought? God right now is seated upon His throne, and what is He seeing? The rainbow. He's constantly looking at the rainbow. God is the rainbow around His throne, constantly reminding Him of this glorious promise that He made with man. You see, once again, this assures us of God's unchanging commitments to keep His promises to mankind. Not just 
this promise, but all of his promises. God's unchanging commitment, he will keep his word. Lover, the next time we see the rainbow in the sky, may we be encouraged. And may we give thanks that our gracious, loving, faithful God is still on the throne. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word this evening. And Lord, we thank you so much for this covenant that you made with mankind. And Lord, the wonderful, glorious sign that you've given to us that we can see each time the storm passes. And Lord, we know that you will keep your promises. Lord, it's a declaration that you're on the throne. Lord, I pray as believers that we would acknowledge the true meaning of the rainbow and that, Lord, we would be moved to give thanks to you. And glory unto you for who you are and what you've done for us. And may you bless us be closed now this evening. In Jesus' name, amen.